With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. It has been an important couple of days in the country's fight against COVID-19. Beijing has reported a new outbreak after the city had not reported a new infection for over two months. It has been a dramatic week for China's sixth richest man who was kidnapped for 24 hours, and it looks like it is the start of a long new stretch for one of China's former securities regulators who was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Here is your news. The top news for the last week must be the apparent re-emergence of COVID-19 in the city of Beijing. After logging no new infections for nearly two months, Beijing added 79 new cases since Thursday putting the capital back on alert. All the cases are linked to a wholesale food market that supplies about 80% of the city's meat and vegetables. The virus was reportedly detected on cutting boards at vendors of imported salmon. Nearly 100,000 community workers were dispatched to knock on doors of residents and trace about 200,000 people who were exposed to the Xinfadi market. As of Sunday, all of the more than 8,000 vendors and employees at the market were tested and transferred to central cities for medical observation. More than 20 residential complexes near the market were locked down, and 90,000 residents are undergoing nucleic acid tests. In the unlikely event that Beijing would go back into lockdown, the good news is at least they would have a new TV show to watch. Last Friday, Mango TV, the online video platform affiliated with Hunan Broadcasting System, launched the reality talent show, whose Chinese name translates to Sisters Who Brave Winds and Waves. The first episode has received 400 million views so far and sparked a rally for shares of Mango Excellent Media. Music talent shows have been all the rage in China in recent years, but viewers are slowly getting tired of young hopefuls who largely fall into the same formula. In contrast, Mango TV's new show is an outlier, featuring 30 established female celebrities aged 30 and above competing for a spot in the five-person winning group at the end. American Express has received approval to start bank card clearing services in China, making it the first foreign payments network to be allowed to process local currency transactions. China is, of course, one of the world's largest markets. 
The People's Bank of China granted a network clearing license to American Express's China joint venture, Express Technology Services Company, the central bank said in a statement on Saturday. The company, which won initial approval in 2018, is required to start the clearing service within six months, according to the statement. While officials at Amex might be celebrating, it's bad news for a former senior Chinese securities regulator. Xiong Guosun was sentenced to 12 years in prison after a four-year investigation on bribery and insider trading charges. The former head of the Hunan Securities Regulatory Bureau came under investigation in June 2016. Very few details about the case have been disclosed since prosecutors initiated a public prosecution against him two years ago. But one official cited Xiong's multiple trips to Hong Kong without reporting his intentions to authorities as being. Part of the charges. In a dramatic story that has gripped Chinese social media, the 78-year-old retired billionaire who founded global home appliance giant Midea Group, He Xiangjian, has been rescued after being held hostage with his family at their mansion in the South China city of Foshan for over 24 hours. On Monday, Foshan police issued a statement saying. Five suspects had been arrested, and the victim, surnamed He, was safe. The businessman and his family were freed in a nighttime raid on Sunday after the alarm was raised by He's 53-year-old son Jianfeng, who reportedly swam one kilometer across a moat and crossed a golf course to reach police. Video on Weibo showed the intruders and police tussling inside the classical-style villa. In the exclusive suburban Junlan International Golf Life Village, He has an estimated personal fortune of 25 billion dollars, making him China's sixth wealthiest man, according to Forbes. His company, Midea, has been in the Fortune 500 for the last four years. In less dramatic news. China's consumer inflation eased to a 14-month low in May, dragged down by moderating gains in pork and food costs. While the decline in prices at the factory gate fell to a four-year low as oil prices slumped, according to official data released last week, the Consumer Price Index or CPI, which measures the prices of a basket of consumer goods and services, rose 2.4 percent year-on-year, a slower rate of growth compared to April. And the fourth straight monthly decline in growth rates. At the same time, the producer price index, also known as the PPI, which gauges changes in the prices of goods circulated among manufacturers and mining companies, fell 3.7 percent year-on-year last month, steeper than the 3.1 percent drop in April. China has hit back at the U.S. after the arrest of a Chinese researcher. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has accused the U.S. of political persecution in arresting a Chinese scholar charged with visa fraud at the Los Angeles airport on Thursday. Wang Xin, a Chinese national and a researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, was charged with alleged visa fraud. The U.S. Justice Department claims that the scholar withheld critical information during the visa application process. That he is currently a level nine technician in the People's Liberation Army, equivalent to the level of major. Despite the public clashes and rhetoric, U.S. news website Politico reported on Friday that Mike Pompeo, the U.S. Secretary of State, has been quietly planning a trip to Hawaii 
to meet with Chinese government officials, a sign that the two sides could be seeking to ease the current tensions. And lastly, it is good news for pangolins, believed to be the world's most illegally trafficked non-human mammals. China said Friday it is increasing official protection of the endangered scaly cat-sized creatures from level 2 protected wild animal status to level 1. The upgrade means that people who poach, harm, transport, or trade wild pangolins will be subject to harsher penalties. Native to China, South and Southeast Asia, and Africa, traditional Chinese medicine uses the animal's scales, meat, and blood to treat a variety of ailments. China was the most common destination for large quantity shipments of pangolin scales and whole animals, and a major exporter of body parts between 2010 and 2015, according to a 2017 trafficking report. Let's turn now to Caixin Global Managing Editor Doug Young for a look at what's in the news. Doug, what's your story for the week? Well, my story of the week is is probably going to be a story of the year, perhaps. Uh, it's, it's certainly a big story, and it's something our American listeners will be interested in. Uh, the story is that basically this past week, uh, a company called NetEase, which is one of China's big online game companies, it made an IPO here in Asia, I should say, uh, not not in China, but in Hong in Hong Kong, not in mainland China. Um, and the company NetEase uh, basically raised pretty much money. They raised three billion dollars, um, and they did quite well on their first trading day. But what's interesting about this company is they were already listed in the U.S. Uh, they didn't particularly need that $3 billion. It's quite a profitable company. Um, but, you know, they did the second listing in Hong Kong. Uh, that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is that another big uh, Chinese internet company called JD.com is actually just behind NetEase. They have priced their shares for a similar IPO that's going to happen this week in Hong Kong. And again, JD is already listed on the NASDAQ. So this time, uh, JD is actually going to raise even more than NetEase. Uh, NetEase did $3 billion. JD.com is raising $4 billion. And uh, honestly speaking, JD probably does need the money a little more than NetEase because JD is losing lots of money, or they, they, they have been losing lots of money. But the, the big story is, you know, this is two companies, two really well-established New York-listed uh, Chinese tech companies listing in Hong Kong. Uh, and of course, people who follow this stuff will know that Alibaba was the one that sort of blazed the trail for all this. They did a listing in Hong Kong back in November. And people will know that they were listed in – or they are listed in New York. They're one of the world's biggest internet companies, something like $400 billion market cap. Uh, so they did this listing in Hong Kong last November and that sort of provided the proof of concept, I guess you could say, for these other two companies to follow suit. So we're seeing all these companies pursuing secondary listings in Hong Kong. What is driving this trend? Well, it's been going on for a while, but there are actually some new factors as well. Uh, I think the the oldest trend in all of this is probably partly political. Um, you know, these are all Chinese companies. They make all their money from China, the China market, and yet 
their stocks are traded in New York, which is not very accessible to Chinese investors. So here, these companies are making fat profits off of China, and yet they can't sell their stock to Chinese people, or Chinese people, most Chinese people can't buy them. So by coming to Hong Kong, it's it's a bit political in the sense that, you know, Beijing leaders, they've been letting these companies go to New York because for, for a number of reasons that I won't go into, but... Um, you know, really, Chinese investors haven't been able to benefit from these companies. So I think by going to Hong Kong, obviously, uh, it's it's a different market. They trade in a different currency, but a lot of mainland Chinese can now invest in Hong Kong stocks through a, a program called the uh, Hong Kong Shanghai and Hong Kong Shenzhen Connect, uh, which lets mainland buyers buy Hong Kong stocks. So that's one thing. And then the other big factor is really uh, U.S. has been getting a little hostile towards these Chinese companies lately. Uh, and that dates back to something I talked on a previous show about Luckin Coffee and how it had bilked investors by, by grossly inflating its revenue. So the U.S. has been showing lots of signs of sort of cracking down on Chinese companies, being tougher on their accounting, and so forth. And, and so some people are saying, oh, well, maybe this is driving these companies to go to Hong Kong where they see a friendlier environment. Um, and then I, then I guess last, uh, the third point is that Hong Kong didn't used to even allow these kinds of companies to uh, list in Hong Kong, but they changed the rules uh, a couple of years ago uh, to let these, they're called dual class share structures, which basically give one group of people much stronger voting rights, even though they may hold the same number of shares as another group of people. Uh, and Hong Kong didn't use to let these kinds of companies list, but they changed their rules basically to, to allow companies like Alibaba to list. And Doug, do you expect that we're going to see more U.S.-listed Chinese companies follow these two e-commerce giants with Hong Kong listings of their own? Well, it's a good question. Everybody's asking. Everyone's speculating. Uh, I've seen talk that uh, actually, Kaiser, you would know, uh, Baidu, uh, your former employer, is uh, maybe considering such a thing, although I don't think anyone's confirmed that. Uh, the other company that you see talked about occasionally is uh, Pindodo, which is sort of a e-commerce hotshot. Uh, they're very recently listed just a year or two ago. But again, they deny, you know, any such listing plans. I, I think, you know, it's people are going to wait and see how these listings do. You know, there, there are issues with being listed in two places, so it might not be the best idea for everybody. But certainly for some of these really big internet companies that, you know, sort of want to give back to China a little bit, uh, I think we'll probably be seeing some of them make the move maybe, you know, in the next year or two. Well, thanks for filling us in, Doug, and I look forward to having you back on the show next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Wu Fei and Spring and Autumn for the music. Be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SupChina, and for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at SupChina.com. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>